So that idea that education was bad filtered into, and it's you still hear it in uh, some circles, big mistake. The evangelicals came along or developed out of it and said, we do believe in education. We just have to do it in the right way. Something I thought was interesting, it's not necessarily quite on topic of what we've been talking about, but I was listening to John Frame's History of Western Philosophy and Theology, mm -hmm. and he said something that I thought was interesting. He said that deism is the most dangerous heresy yeah. uh, ever to make rise in the church. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think you could unpack that for me a little bit? And what do you agree with him? Oh, I completely you agree. You do? Okay. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Absolutely. And the reason he says it's dangerous is because it was not seen as a heresy. Mm. All the other heresies, like about who Jesus is and about the, and, you know, mm. uh, really, basically, it, the main heresies in the Christian church all happened in the first 500 years, and they were all centered on who Jesus is, right. okay, and coming to a biblical understanding of that. With the rise of deism in the 17th century, um, what came into the Christian church itself was a form of modernist thinking. And when you take modernist, enlightenment, rationalist thinking and inject it into Christian theology, what you have is a form of Christianity without the supernatural. Mm. But, and Frame points this out, and I think he's absolutely right, mm -hmm. it produced what is known today as liberal theology, which is basically modernism mm -hmm. going to church. And the reason he says it's so dangerous is because it was not identified for what it was. Mm -hmm. It was a, it's a virus that wasn't identified as harmful. Whereas all the rest of the heresies through church history yeah. uh, were identified as really, this is not true. You guys don't believe the Socinians, you know, don't believe these the people, the yeah. Neoplatonists right. and the, and these guys, Pelagian. yeah, the yeah. yeah, you know, they had these debates based on the scriptures because they had God's word to go to. Once you sever yourself from God's word, you can have religion without the word of God actually teaching you anything. And that's why Frame says it's the most dangerous heresy. And deism, did we define? We didn't deism? define. Yeah, if you could. Okay, deism is was and still is. Um, a prevailing thought in elite among elite thinkers in the 1700s. So the Enlightenment era. In the Enlightenment era, and it's the idea that there is a God, and He's probably the God of the Bible, mm -hmm. and you will be held accountable for your actions. Mm -hmm. But He's not doing anything. Mm -hmm. No incarnation, no death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, no atonement. All of those things are accretions. And the gospel of deism was basically be good to each other. That they felt that that was the gospel. That became um, the social gospel of liberal theology in the 1800s. So in the 1700s, the idea that there is a God, but he's not doing anything. He's the absentee landlord, right? Mm -hmm. He's the watchmaker who's, who builds the watch and gets sets it running, and he doesn't do anything anymore until after you die and then you get judged. Mm -hmm. Straight legalism. Yeah. Straight legalism. No gospel in it. And that's why Frame says, and I agree with him, yeah. that it's such a dangerous thing. But 
get this. Deism was at its absolute height intellectually. Guess when? In the late 1700s. When was our nation born? Mm. 1776. It was the prevailing thought in among the elite people in Europe and America in the 1700s when our nation was forming up. Wow. And that's why we need to understand much of American civil religion. And this isn't new with me. This has been said by Christian thinkers for over 100 years. Much of American civil religion isn't Christian. It's deist. And I point out to people, and they, it makes their eyes bug out, but um, in the Pledge of Allegiance, mm-hmm. when Eisenhower added one nation under God, mm-hmm. indivisible and so on, he could never have said one nation under Christ. Mm. He could never have gotten away with saying wow. that. Wow, yeah. And that's the difference <clears throat> between Christianity and deism. Mm-hmm. So... Deism is a really important philosophical thing in which modernism and enlightenment rationalism and the rejection of the supernatural, the rejection of revelation, that whole thought process is put into a syringe and injected into the bloodstream of the mainline churches. And the product of it is a thing that looks like Christianity but is not Christianity. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes. That's why Frame says what he says about deism. Well, that's that's also, um, you know, the majority of street evangelism. If you go out and talk to someone and say, mm-hmm. "How do you get to heaven?" They'll almost always say, "By being, you know, being, being good." Good, yes, yeah. And that's kind that's of deistic. deistic yeah, it, <clears throat> yeah. The idea that there may be a God and there is a right and wrong, maybe, but then they adjust it in real life. It's like eh, I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> I think those people right, are wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it gets pretty amorphous like that at that person. Point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, no, deism is still alive and well in Western civilization. Hmm. Is that maybe the root of universalism? Uh, how so? In the sense that there is a God, but we can't exactly know who he, which one he is. Oh. And so we will come to church with uh, an Islam, Islamic believer, is a Christian, and a Buddhist, and we can all just fellowship together. That would be a radical pluralism, actually, more than universalism, oh, I would okay. say. I would call that a radical religious pluralism, where all roads lead to to God, huh. you know. Yeah. And Christianity is just one of several of these. Um, but that is— Or maybe uh, I think of Unitarianism. No, Unitarianism is the idea—it's a rejection of the Trinity. Okay. Uh Forms currently of the Unitarian Church tend to be more New Agey, mm. but uni- originally a Unitarian uh, 150 years ago was a person who denied the Trinity, said okay. there's only one God mm-hmm. and Jesus isn't God. Mm-hmm. That would be Unitarian. And the plural, radical plural uh, religious sentiment, mm-hmm. you could call it that in our culture, it's not really a doctrine. Yeah. Because once you start making it a doctrine, you see how ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. So it's just a sentiment that all of these uh, religious people, they're all pointing to the same God from different directions. And they use the illustration of the blind men and the elephant. Have you ever heard that illustration? I think so. But it's, go ahead it's and a, give it It's a us. well-known illustration yeah. for pluralism. Yeah. 
in which uh, you have a bunch of blind guys and one guy's got the tail of the elephant, another one has the leg of the elephant, another one has the trunk of the elephant, Mm -hmm. and each one describes the elephant in a different way. Mm -hmm. And the moral of the story is it's all the same elephant and these different guys have sent it because they're blind. Mm -hmm. And what is ridiculous about that illustration is that the person telling the illustration isn't blind. Mm. They think (laughs) the person telling the illustration is saying, I see it all. Uh (laughs) And everyone else is blind, but I actually see the elephant. The illustration falls apart completely because these different religions are actually saying radically different things. And all of them have one thing in common. They deny the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. That they all agree on. So this pluralism isn't quite the same as universalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd be kind of two different categories, but it would eventually mean that if there's a heaven, everybody's going to go there. I guess that mm-hmm. you could say that's universalistic. Sure. But. Yeah. Thanks for the explanation. Um, I, yeah, I think it's interesting. There's uh, even I was reading some documents from Vatican II uh-huh. and how they um, kind of rosy eyed or rosy goggled talk about Islam. Yes. And, you know, oh, well, you know, they're very dedicated believers, which they are. You know, I think uh, yeah. we could learn something from praying five times a day. <laughs> but, <laughs> which they got from the Jews, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. Their whole, all their prayer practices mm-hmm. were from the Jews in the seventh century. Yeah. yeah but there was a, a almost a neo-pluralism uh, in this document yes. about, um, well, you know, they're seeking God and, and good for them. You know, yeah. that's yeah. kind of where they left yeah. it off. Yeah. And that was just, that was very... Vatican II changed, and that's why there was a split. There is a split within Roman Catholicism about whether you want to adopt the Vatican II view of things. But the official view of the Roman Catholic Church since Vatican II was softened tremendously on that on that subject. Mm-hmm. And they even speculated that Protestants might be saved, which mm-hmm. is just an amazing thing for them to say after hundreds of years of saying that protestants aren't even christians right uh so there were some good things in vatican ii but some of it was pluralistic right yes yeah, yeah no i have yeah there are some good things i've read too but um you know i've even heard christian uh, catholics say that protestants are saved yeah you know? that they would never have said that huh. doctrinally that the mm-hmm. church's position prior to that mm-hmm. was that they're not yeah so interesting. Yeah, I don't know how I got off track on that, but it's, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, I guess the pluralism. <clears throat> yeah. Let's see. You asked me about deism, and. Um... Yeah, because um, deism was something I wasn't super familiar with until I was listening to Frame. You know, I've heard the term, but. Yeah, it should, uh, Christians. <clears throat> well, this is why at Pacific Bible College we teach on these things. Yes. So that people realize what philosophically, see, remember that there is a very fine line between philosophy and theology. Mm -hmm. Um, Theology and philosophy overlap one another and always did until the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And you got this separation of knowledge where you can only have knowledge of the physical realm. That's the Kantian break, and everything else has to remain unknown. But prior to that, you could know from what God said about himself, and that gave you a philosophical basis 
for a lot of other things, ethics, mm -hmm. epistemology, yeah. uh, ontology, the doctrine of what is real. Mm -hmm. All of that came from understanding the Lord and letting his word be philosophically undergirding the philosophies of humans, right? Mm -hmm. With the Enlightenment, there was a separation so that now human philosophy and theology were two separate things. And then theology actually became a subtopic in the university system. Mm -hmm. And then it be, was called religion, right. which then became a sociological observation. In, in other words, the idea that theology informed philosophy, mm -hmm. that was completely lost. So when we teach, we put those two back together again. Right. There is such a thing as Christian philosophy, mm -hmm. and theology is philosophical. It, it has its own metaphysics. It has its own epistemology. It has its own ethical structure. That's philosophy. Mm -hmm. And God's Word has all of those and teaches us yeah. all those. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Um, a question for you, speaking of God speaking. So in you know in the beginning, yeah, not in the beginning was the word, but he spoke creation into existence. Yeah. Now that makes me think about like natural and general revelation mm -hmm. versus special special revelation. Good. So what what is the difference, and what can we learn aside from special revelation? If God spoke creation into existence, mm -hmm. then it would stand to reason that we can interpret some of that language, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, meaning, is there such a thing as natural theology? That yes. you can You can derive theological reality from simply observing nature. I think that is what I'm asking. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> well, that comes from the concept that, there, that general revelation is the revelation that God has given through the creation. It's right there in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Paul says that people do know there is a God and they know certain things about him mm -hmm. from the creation. He says it point blank. So there is such a thing as general revelation. Mm -hmm. Now, some people have then said, well, if there is such a thing as general revelation, mm -hmm. then we should be able to learn something about God from the created order, mm -hmm. something about him anyway, yeah. at least that, that he's creative, that he's super smart <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly, i mean yeah. that's kind of what that word means when it describes him there in romans one mm -hmm. um however does general revelation lead us to the knowledge of salvation mm. and the answer to that has to be no mm. um because god then reveals all the way through the bible he draws a distinction between people who listen to him and people who don't, all the way back into Genesis. Mm -hmm. You got two groups of people in the first 11 chapters mm -hmm. of Genesis. Yeah. There are people who listen to God and people who don't. Mm -hmm. So general revelation alone does not bring a person to the knowledge of salvation. This is where the idea of special revelation comes in. Mm -hmm. And you special revelation is anytime the Lord intervened and spoke to a human, the burning bush, Moses and the burning bush, Abraham, call, the call of Abraham. You see these moments where the Lord says, comes and says something. And then he speaks through a prophet, Elijah, whoever. Yeah. He speaks through a prophet. That is special revelation. Mm -hmm. That it builds on general revelation, mm -hmm. but it points a person to a right relationship with God, the ability to walk mm -hmm. with God. So, 
That distinction needs to be maintained. General revelation is enough to make us know God is there, which means when we reject it, uh-huh. we are culpable for rejecting general revelation. But it's not enough to bring us to salvation. That's why we need special revelation. That brought up, speaking of Romans 1, you made me think of um, Romans 1, uh, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's correct. So essentially, the salvation is found within the gospel, not outside of the gospel That's correct. in general revelation. Jesus said, um, I I am the way, the mm-hmm. truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, what, this is maybe an aside about about that, but I'm curious just personally, mm-hmm. what is your stance on sola scriptura? Hmm. It, yeah, go ahead. Well, sola mm. scriptura is one of the five solas of the Reformation, and I am a dyed-in-the-wool, unapologetic uh, a Protestant on that level. Uh-huh. I think that it sola scriptura is central to understanding anything about God. What are the five solas before you get in, into that? Um, sola gratia, meaning grace alone. Uh-huh. Sola fide, meaning by faith alone. Uh-huh. Sola scriptura, according to the scriptures alone. Uh-huh. Sola. Oh, I've got thought. I just had to see. Faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone. Um, to the glory of God alone, mm. and I'm missing one, I think. Sola fide, or did you already do that? Fide is faith, Scripture. grace. Christus. Solus Christus. Yes. Yes. Christ alone. Christ alone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, mm-hmm. Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, sola Deo Gloria. Mm. A lot of people still sign that. We have that at our church wow. uh, in the in the foundation stone of where of our outdoor meeting area. So uh, it says the fifth one in there wow. to the glory of God alone. That's yeah. So sola scriptura is central to reformed understanding, Protestant understanding of reality. And what it means is. Not that all you need is the Bible for every bit of knowledge you ever have, Mm -hmm. but that every bit of knowledge you ever have, if it's a knowledge of reality, Mm -hmm. has to come from the wisdom that the Bible gives. Mm -hmm. So it means any theology that comes from somewhere else other than a biblical concept Mm -hmm. would not be a valid theology, could be mistaken in a ton of different ways. Mm. So sola scriptura means scripture only is the authority for theology and for the life of the believer. Mm-hmm. That's what sola scriptura means. People misinterpret it sometimes yeah. to mean, oh, I don't need to be a part of a church. I just need my Bible. I'm going to go eat bird seed on a mountaintop right. and, <laughs> until I have a vision in me and my Bible. That's never yeah. what it meant. Yeah. It meant that the Bible is the seedbed of all real theology and the real authority over the believer. Is it the seedbed of all ecclesiology? Yes. Any ology that is uh-huh. that is uh, theological. So ecclesiology has to find its root system, mm-hmm. not just in church history, right. but in a biblical shape of what the church is. Mm-hmm. And this is the difference between Roman Catholic and Protestant ecclesiology. Yeah. Right there, that's the difference. Mm. Is that the Roman Catholic one is built more on its own tradition, and the and the Protestant one 
stripped that away and said, let's just look at what the Bible has to say about the church. Right. Because when you listen to uh, Roman Catholic apologet- apologists, uh-huh. they'll say, well, you, you know, you're interpreting this from Scripture. However, you know, just a century after Jesus, this is how things were done, and we're still doing it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and right. so that's uh, as I've been looking at it, to church history, I was reading Mark Knoll, mm-hmm. you know, for a seminary, and uh, it opened my my eyes to to just looking into some of the Roman Catholicism. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I I got a little tripped up on that. You know, well maybe so was Peter really the office of the Pope? Mm-hmm. And is that what Jesus meant? And is that really being carried out? You know, mm-hmm. so that uh, I think that's the question about Sola Scripture that, that I That's I think what through. the original, and these mm-hmm. guys were not, they were trying to reform the Catholic Church. Don't forget mm-hmm. that. Right. They weren't trying to start Protestantism. Uh-huh. They were simply protesting the egregious errors of the traditionalism yeah. within the Roman Catholic Church. And they got kicked out, and that's how Protestantism started. Mm. Um, so it's you don't you don't devalue Peter, right? But the Roman Catholic view about Peter being the head of the church, um, meaning the the office of Peter, the chair of Peter, right? In my opinion, uh, and I'm among the many who among Protestantism will bear this out. It's a very thin thread to hang the weight of the entire body of Christ on. Mm. The the idea that the, yeah. the the head guy at the church at Rome always was intended to be the senior pastor of every Christian on the planet. Yeah, that idea, I don't think it washes at all. Mm. And by the way, if you want a good book on that, Greg Allison, uh, who's a professor at uh, Southern Seminary, mm-hmm. um. He wrote a the authoritative work on the difference between evangelical and Roman Catholic theology, and it's called Roman Catholic Theology and Practice, mm. an evangelical evaluation. And he's not anti-Roman Catholic person. It's very balanced. But if you want to get a good view of the difference between Roman Catholic theology and evangelical and mm. Protestant theology, that's yeah. the book to read. It just came out about uh, probably 10 years ago now. Yeah, thank you for the recommend because I've been looking for something. Get that. <clears throat> Everybody, anybody doing ministry in this mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. should own that book mm-hmm. and be familiar with it. Yeah. Also, Greg Allison did a five-part series in, uh, and it's on the internet under biblicaltraining.org. Hmm. Uh biblicaltraining.org Biblical has a bunch of lectures from different evangelical theologians mm-hmm. on different subjects. And Greg Allison did a five-part series. Terrific. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in the difference between evangelical and Roman Catholic, uh, you got to see that series. They're half-hour they're half hour, uh, lectures. Yeah. Very good and recent. Yeah. Okay, I will definitely look those up. Thank you. Biblicaltraining.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, biblicaltraining.org across the boards mm-hmm. is a reliable source. Free. It's free. Mm-hmm. You, you get these theological lectures from these guys. That's incredible. And um, they're really quite good. Yeah. It's, it's, it is amazing the amount of resources. Was it you or Mike that was saying at the faculty orientation? How we're living in 
the age where there is so much there is so much quality theology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so much ignorance yeah. about it yeah. or or ignorance in the sense that it is it is ignored literally yeah yeah i agree with that i don't know which one of us said i can't it, remember one of you guys said yeah, that and i yeah. just, i thought that was so true <clears throat> because yeah we you know like you said we're living in a postmodernist world but also we have the internet and i can go to biblicaltraining.org and see some of the finest lectures absolutely right? and <clears throat> if you know where to look yeah but the other side of the coin is there's mm-hmm. so much bunk on the yeah, internet that so if you true. don't know where to look mm-hmm. like i have people ask me the craziest questions mm-hmm. and i know they got these questions from the internet they went on the internet and they and they were Reading something from a blog, which <laughs> blogs, it depends on who's doing the blog, man. Right. That is not peer-reviewed no. research. You know, <laughs> blogs can be so full of baloney. And they'll come up with these questions and they think they know something theologically. And I'm going, you know what? You need to back up and not do so much internet research. Uh-huh. Find the good places on the internet. Yeah. Do you have an example of one of these questions? Uh, well, there's actually been... Several. I had one guy come up and tell me <laughs> that, um, what was it? It was about how we really only should use the red letters oh. of the New Testament. <laughs> and uh, it was after church. And I said, really? And he says, yeah, because those are the words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, do you, you do understand there were no original red letters mm-hmm. in the and that everything that Jesus said was actually came to us through the apostles. You know that, right? I said, there's no distinction there. He goes, no, I didn't know that at all. I've had several people through the years come and get on my case because we don't use the old King James Bible. And there's a, and it's because they went on the internet and they started doing textual criticism on the internet and they don't know anything about it. Yeah. And they got involved in the KJO, the King James only crowd, uh-huh. <laughs> with all of their propaganda. Mm-hmm. And they come up. One guy was on the phone with me for an hour, railing on me. I finally hung up on him. Yeah, uh, he had no idea what he was talking about, but he he was the victim really of this uh-huh. KJO stuff that's on the internet. Yeah. Wow. You don't have to go to church here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I told him. I said, yeah. don't come to church yeah. here. Stop going to church here. Yeah, uh, that is interesting. You're right. There is uh, – it's it's like – I mean, I'm not an athletic person, but you, you can't just go to the gym and say if you don't know anything about it and start throwing weight around. Uh-uh. You'll hurt yourself. You'll hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody else. Exactly. And so I think I found myself guilty of thinking that if I'm prepare, prepping for a sermon – when I, when I was uh, in college, I was leading a, a small group of guys and that I could just go on blueletterbible.com and, oh. u- and use the Greek like I knew what I was doing. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> but I don't actually, you know, I don't Don't know. have any actual Greek study behind you. Exactly. Yeah. So you see the definition and you say, okay, that's what it means. Yeah. And then you get, you know, you can get into some You get into trouble. some real trouble. Yeah. That way. Um, yeah, it's, it's. Kind of comical. Oh, the other thing that I get a lot of is uh, eschatology, so end time stuff. Mm-hmm. And people who do research on the internet about the end times and um, really have no background for interpreting the Bible about that. They don't know why they believe what they believe. Yeah. 
and but they'll come up with these they'll pontificate about this is that and this is what's going to happen here and i'm like you know you really need to take a good course on the revelation Mm -hmm. (laughs) and 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 then start to say these things but Mm -hmm. that's an area where internet research is uh buried yes shall we say very much so yeah live live prophecy watches you oh know. gosh! Oh, yes. Here we are. This is it. You know. <laughs> oh man. I was raised in that, so I have, I'm kind of allergic to those. Yeah, I was too, actually. But you know, I think they mean well. They mean well, and I still hold to the general idea that you you should interpret Revelation from chapter six through chapter nineteen futuristically. Uh-huh. I do believe that yeah. it is futuristic, but I admit. That's just one of two or three different ways of viewing it. I, among Christians, I, yeah. I admit that, but I still think it's the the better one. But I don't buy all of the chart making, older dispensational stuff that I was actually taught at Biola. Biola back in the day was very dispensational, yeah, and uh, older, old fashioned dispensationalism, uh-huh. you know, and I. There's been some really good thinking among dispensationalists since then yeah. that I think is much better. Much better. It helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. That was that was uh, my experience as well in a Calvary. Um, not to at all. No, I, like, I, I had an amazing experience in Calvary growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah I, got, I got saved through that church. But yeah, there was a lot of dispensationalism that was There was a mistaking... You may have heard this, and I don't know if you were in the lectures where I was teaching the Revelation. I listened to yeah. Yes, a few of them, yeah. But the mistake we made in those days, and I, I was in it too, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, the, it was the air we were breathing in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Is the Lord's coming back really soon, you know. And they had this theory about the generation not passing away before mm-hmm. these things are fulfilled. And they... You know, the generations, quote unquote, started at the birth of the nation of Israel and so on. And it was this elaborate mm. date setting scheme yeah. that had plausibility. But really, once you looked at it closely, mm. it, it didn't really wash. And one of the mistakes we made, I think the central mistake we made, was mistaking the rapture for the gospel. Mm. And people still do that. They still think that the really the good news of Jesus is that he's coming soon and he's going to get us out of here. Mm-hmm. And that actually isn't the gospel. It's an entailment. We will be eventually taken out of here one way or another. But the gospel itself is the personal work of Christ, not the rapture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the mistake we made. And I think a lot of people uh, were disillusioned when 1988 came and went. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. And because of the book 88 Reasons. 88 Reasons, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, Edgar Wisnant, we used to call him Edgar Wingnut. <laughs> right. He wrote that book, but he was simply cashing in on a real common grassroots mm-hmm. feeling that everybody had. Yeah. Because of the prophecy teachers using that scheme. Mm-hmm. Of the one generation, this generation shall not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And it's a classic example of how not to do hermeneutics mm-hmm. by some really good godly people. You know, J. Dwight Pentecost and some of these guys from Dallas Seminary. Uh, it was just a misunderstanding of those passages and 
kind of a bad hermeneutic and it created this false expectation uh-huh. and and then people just hey we're getting out of here you know rack up the credit cards leave it for the pagans you know <laughs> and then when it didn't happen uh-huh. disillusionment and discrediting unfortunately discrediting of uh-huh. gospel preaching uh-huh. because it had been attached to this one prophetic idea yeah big mistake mm. Out of that movement, there was a little bit of a, a stigma around higher education, biblical higher yes, education. Yes, I was just watching all higher education. Oh, truly? Okay, I was watching a video of Keith Green playing, and I just love Keith Green. Yeah, yeah, me too. But, uh, you know, but he had said uh, something about he go, oh, cemetery. I mean, seminary. Yeah, you know, made yeah. some joke about it, yeah. and I that was actually kind of popular even. Oh, very. When I, grew up I remember in saying it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think that comes from? Why Why was that? It was a holdover from fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and remember that evangelicalism came out of fundamentalism. But fundamentalism I'd took- I'd have to have known that to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, did you know that? I did not know okay. that. <laughs> fundamentalism in the early 20th century <clears throat> was a reaction against uh-huh. modernism. And it was a good reaction uh-huh. against modernism. Okay. Modernism was denying all the fundamentals of the faith. And so 12 booklets were written about the atonement, about the deity of Christ, about the incarnation, and they became known as the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Mm. And they're true. Yeah. They they really the fundamentals were but then the fundamentalists they took a big hit at the Scopes trial in 1925. And public opinion moved against the fundament the people who believed in the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. Uh-huh. And what happened was Fundamentalism, uh, basically, they said, okay, we're retreating from the world. We're going to circle the wagons. We're going to create our own Bible colleges. We're going to create our own entire thing, and we're not going to deal with intellectual issues at all. Evangelicalism came along in the 1940s and said that was a big mistake. Uh, And there was fundamentalists who did said, hey, we need to engage, Mm -hmm. and we need to get into the philosophical discussions. We can't just hide away Mm -hmm. the fundamentalist modernist controversy was what was really behind a lot of the angst now what was the i lost the question you asked me what was it we're talking about higher biblical oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that anti-intellectualism came because the fundamentalists basically said the world doesn't like us so let's just circle the wagons Mm -hmm. and we'll throw mud on anybody doing higher education Mm -hmm. because higher education in the late 1800s and early 20th century major seminaries in germany and the u.s were becoming much more liberal Mm -hmm. uh, theologically liberal yeah and denying the authority of scripture and everything you know that that was the big deal denying the authority of scripture back to deism back to deism and unitarianism Mm -hmm. uh princeton split over that issue princeton mm-hmm. seminary yeah. and westminster seminary was born because of that oh, out that. of the split from wow. princeton over the modernist controversy so what happened was the fundamentalists started a grassroots movement with their own schools and their anti- their feeling of animosity towards public education filtered down into the pews and people just started saying things like that, you know. Uh, right. You just don't need any education. And they used 
all these illustrations like from the Bible. They even tried to back it up. I remember being taught. Actually, Bible college teachers didn't say this kind of stuff, uh -huh. but preachers did at the grassroots level. Uh -huh. And they said, uh, well, Peter, James, and John, it says we're ignorant men. Remember uh -huh. in Acts? <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. And uh, so, so we should be ignorant. I'm like... Yeah, well, <laughs> they walked with Jesus for three years, and they were all at least bilingual. Mm -hmm. They were fluent yeah. in Hebrew, Greek, Jewish history, and they walked personally with Jesus for yeah. three years. If that's not a seminary education, I don't know what right. is. So that idea that education was bad mm -hmm. filtered into, and it's you still hear it in uh, some circles, big mistake. Mm -hmm. The evangelicals came along or developed out of it and said, we do believe in education. Yeah. We just have to do it in the right way. Right. Yeah, I mean, Paul was not ignorant oh. by any means. <laughs> he had the equivalent of a double PhD. Yeah. Wow. And he was at least bilingual and probably knew some Latin. Mm -hmm. So Incredible, yeah. Studied yeah. under Gamal Gamal Gam Gamaliel. Gamaliel, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So... Uh, Transferring that into, if you wouldn't mind, tell can you tell the audience a little bit about how PBC is, what PBC is doing? PBC is um, started out as a Bible Institute uh -huh. uh, in the late 80s and early 90s to train local people who were who couldn't afford to go away for biblical training. And a, a group of pastors got together and we'll just start training people. Uh, so that they had some base, good basic theology. PBC has always been committed to the idea of good Christian higher education, even when we were just a Bible Institute. Mm. The pastors, and I was there when it first started, I was on that original crew, and we were all committed to higher education, but biblical education, yeah. you know, um, so that people could grow in their knowledge of Christ and their knowledge of the world around them so they could impact the world for the Lord and work in uh, ministries and missions and, mm. and have some good Christian theological education. As it has grown now, we went through a phase where we were offering uh, an associate's degree in biblical studies, one in counseling and so on, Christian counseling. And then now a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. just recently in biblical uh, studies. The vision has grown uh, so that, yes, we still train people to work in ministry, but we also train people in to work in any walk of life that they get involved in with a good, solid Christian philosophical basis. Mm. And in our opinion, my opinion, Good Christian schools all do that. Mm -hmm. A good Christian institution of higher learning gives a philosophical and theological basis for Christian thinking to all their students, yeah. no matter what topics. So that's what PBC does. And um, it's growing, and uh, I'm enthused about it. I'm excited yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. PBC um, presupposes that God is the, he's the first empire who's calling it. Yes, as it is. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it. You know, so that's a good way to put it. We come into it with true knowledge, yeah, because we have faith in the one who's calling the shots. Yeah, we mm -hmm. don't have perfect knowledge, but the knowledge is out there. Mm -hmm. We ourselves don't have perfect knowledge, right? But we know that God has actually said something, mm -hmm. and 
that is the basis for all other forms of knowledge. Yeah. And that's a philosophical difference between any Christian school mm. and uh, the secular education. Yeah. Well, I think that comes full circle. Is there any, uh, or was there any places you wanted to fill in the gaps? Maybe I cut cut you off at all, or thing you want to say about this subject before we wrap it up? Nope. I mean, the subjects we've discussed, we've only touched on. Right. So there's a bazillion other things that we could discuss, but uh, I think we've had a good discussion on the ones that we've yeah opened up. So. And that's why people should uh, consider attending Pacific Bible College. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> even if they just audit. You know, a lot of our, a lot of my students audit. They're folks who have had other careers and they just want to deepen their knowledge of scripture yeah and uh, so yeah that's great well thank you so much pastor rick you're welcome elijah thank you